Hunter, thank you so much. Uh, I think most of you know Hunter. He He's our discipleship. Um, what, what is your title? I always ask you. Discipleship and connect. No, no, no. Discipleship guy. And yeah, it's discipleship <laughs> and young professionals in college. So Okay, there you are. There you are. Lots, lots of stuff, yeah. Yeah, so he serves at our AB South Campus there with Aaron Bryant and Matt uh, Matt Page and others. And just delighted to have him on staff. He is he is indeed one of our ministry resident alum alumni. So I'm always pleased to you know kind of see our uh, uh, our ministry residents that we've been able to retain and keep on and who are doing such a great work for us. So Hunter, I'm going to turn it over. Oh, before I turn it over, let me give you uh, host rights. Yeah. If you need to do it, yeah. So I'm going to make you the host here, and uh, so you are now the host. So if you need to do anything. Um, yeah. share a screen or anything like that you can now do that and also gives you ability to, to end the meeting as well so i'm going to leave you guys have a great okay. evening and uh we'll look forward to hearing about what you believe uh next week all right take care bye-bye awesome all right how's everybody doing tonight good thumbs up great all right i know it's kind of like an awkward how do you interact on zoom right like talking over everybody and stuff i'm glad y'all are here uh thank you for being here i think um who, we'll, we'll start off just kind of pulling the room uh who here would say um, if you were on earlier you might have heard me talking about it who here saw or read any of the left behind books yeah okay you, you a little pop culture kind of eschatology right um I was in like elementary, middle school when those came out. And um, if you don't know what they are, they're basically a fictionalized version of what would happen when Jesus, you know, comes and raptures people up. And, uh, and I had to read them uh, for accelerated reader points in, uh, when I was in elementary and middle school. And um, uh, it, I couldn't read the Harry Potter books. And the only books that were equivalent in points were the Left Behind books. And so I read all of them. And I used to think if you were to look for the Antichrist, you would just have to look for a guy named Nikolai Carpathia and you would find that would be the Antichrist, right? That was how like gospel those books were. It was crazy. Um, but uh, let, let's just start off and let's let's chat. So um, we'll, we'll start off this way. What do you all think about the end times? Um, maybe not necessarily what is your view on amillennialism, postmillennialism, premillennialism, but what, what are your general thoughts when it comes to, to the end times? Are you sitting around with like a can of tuna and a big thing of water waiting for Jesus to come in your bunker? Uh, do you ever think about it? What is your general feelings towards the end times? I guess I'll break the ice. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I thought I would hope you would. Go ahead, sir. Yeah. So um, for me, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of hope and expectation and certainty, you know, because I know what's coming. So that allows me to uh, be comfortable with myself. But not only that, uh, there's a urgency, a feel of urgency to um, share this news with others, right? And that's a, a motivator for me to uh, share the gospel to and to do um, to exercise the spiritual gift that, that the Holy Spirit has been given me, right? Uh, because they're not for my benefit those gifts, but the, for the benefit of others, just like First Peter four twelve says. So I think um, what we have to do is uh, have a sense of confidence um, 
and, and that's what to me is so important to know end times and uh, everything that's is eschatology, right? Yep. Um, because it's a motivator and also not only a motivator, but makes you feel comfortable in sharing good news with others. Okay, all right. So you're, there's a confidence there, right? We've read, we read the end of the book. We know that Jesus, our savior wins. We can have confidence. Okay, who, who else? Well, I just really, if anyone says we're living in the end times, I just roll my eyes and carry on walking because <laughs> we've been living in the end times since Paul's days. I mean, every every generation thinks it's their generation. So um, yeah, I just... If anyone says that to me, my my view of your theology and wisdom just like really just goes down. And I just I struggle to take you seriously because just everyone says that. And most of the time when they're saying it, they're just saying it because oh things are so bad. They're not actually opening a Bible and saying oh look this sign and this sign has been fulfilled. It's just oh it's so terrible in the twenty first century. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That's yep. Yeah, that yeah. So there's a lot of confusion, right, Cassandra? There's a lot of confusion about what is the end times. Absolutely. There's a lot of people who would say just because things are bad in the world, that means Jesus is coming back. Um, yeah. And we've we, we know we're not living in I don't know World War II, right? People then thought that was happening, or uh, certainly during the Crusades, they thought that might have happened, right? There's been historical times where. People might have had reason to think that, and Jesus still hasn't come back. Okay, all right. What else? I think well, Teresa, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was. I was going to say that. Yes, um, like you said, we've been living in end times since Christ has, you know, gone. So it's always been in times, and being uh, in end times, and then I look at it a bit differently, as in. We don't know the number of our days. So today could be your end day, you know? So every day is the day of salvation. Every day is a day, an opportunity to share because we are in end times and we've been in end times and we, and until his return, these are the end times. So no matter if it was a thousand years ago to 2000 years ago, or if it's another thousand years that um, this is the day Nobody knows the number of their days. So to say, you know, how, I mean, I just think that every day should be a day living as though this could be my last day, which kind of frustrates me with the COVID and the shutdown and the fear of not getting out there because we're, to me, we're wasting our days by living in fear. So it's a different okay. thought. All right, there you go. So in times gives us clarity on what we're doing now you know if um if someone told you that your home is going to be broken into tonight uh or in the morning at 2 a.m uh and they told you be on the lookout they're coming at two uh what would you do right you would uh you'd have you'd have some things ready uh at 2 a.m right to defend your home uh it, it should be the same way yeah okay all right well uh adam Yeah, I'm having trouble with my microphone. No, you're good. Let's see. Is that better?
we'll tell you what, Adam, we'll, uh, we'll come back to you uh, when, when, when you get that uh, figured out and we'll, it'll all be good. We're, it's, hopefully will be discussion-based tonight. Um, tell you what, let's do this. Let's go to God's word. Um, so let's open up our Bibles to Revelation 20. Uh, one through six is where we're going to be tonight. Uh, I'm talking off of a handout um, that I actually ended up putting in the chat. So if you uh, wanted to look at the handout, I put it in the chat for everybody. You can download that and have that uh, tonight. Um, so uh, yeah, so we're going to go ahead and just di dive into everything I'm excited about. Uh, about this. It's been a while since I've taught eschatology, so we'll dive into it. We're going to first go ahead and open up to Revelation 20, 1 through 6, and I'll go ahead and I'll read that right now for us. Um, the word of God from our brother John on the Isle of Patmos. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw the thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Okay, so we actually build out a lot of our eschatology around this passage and others like it. We'll go over that tonight. So I, I like to just kind of throw out just a few things, but I know you've already read a lot in your book. And so really what I would love is to set aside a large amount of time for questions. Um, so, but it's important to know uh, just a few things. So um, tonight we're talking about the end times, obviously, uh, and the uh, key and kind of the central figure of the end times is the millennium. Now, in Latin, mille literally just means, or millennium literally means a thousand years. Um, and so uh, it's, it's either another name for the current church age, that millennium, it was a figurative millennium, like we're living that right now, depending on your eschatological view. So it's either a name another name for the current age of the church, or it's a future period in relation to the second coming of Jesus Christ. So um, we've read, we're talking about people reigning with Jesus for a thousand years. Now, the church has never disagreed on the idea that Jesus is going to return. There's never been disagreement with that. They've never disagreed with the resurrection of the dead. They've never disagreed with the final judgment, the idea that Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. They've never disagreed with eternal life for the righteous who have Christ and eternal death for the unrighteous and the new heaven and the new earth. Those are non-negotiables when it comes to um, eschatology or the study of the end times. Now, the disagreement, though, comes 
when it's talking about the relationship of Christ's return to two other eschatological matters, the Great Tribulation and the Millennium, right? Um, so there are basically um, four different views on eschatology and the return of Christ and the timing of it. Would you all like me, I want to do what's most helpful for you. Would you all like me to give you a high overview of those four? Or do you feel like you understand them well? Give me a thumbs up if you want me to go over it, a thumbs down if not. Okay, all right. We'll tell you what, Eloy, the, the majority of the class said, said for, for me too. So let's go over it, okay? All right, here we go. Um, first one, if you just wanna write these down, that would be great, okay? The first one that people believe is amillennialism, okay? It's amillennialism. So um, this is the position, that's A, so just the letter A, and then millennialism, right? This is, and we're not talking about no millennials, right? We're not talking about a generation, we're talking about obviously the millennium. So this position is that there is no millennium. There is no 1,000 years or no future 1,000-year period of Christ's reign on the earth. So the current church is in the millennium right now. I have a, a helpful illustration that I want to show you guys. I hope I can get it um, close enough to the camera. Okay. Um, let's see. Here we go. All right. Let's put it up right there. We'll see if I can. All right. So can you all see that? Is it kind of hard? All right. Here we go. So. Um, I'll just explain it rather than you guys looking at the screen. Um, okay, so if you are an amillennialist, this is what you believe. You believe that we are right now in the millennium. And the millennium is not an actual thousand years. It's a, just a kind of a figurative thousand years, right? So you would believe that we're kind of in that Revelation 21 through 6 period, that we're kind of in that right now. So maybe when it talks about Satan being thrown into the lake of fire people would say well satan actually has been thrown into not the lake of fire excuse me into a pit he has been thrown into a pit because of the fact that jesus crushed his head right like in the sense of the cross they would believe that jesus kind of bound satan right um satan is not running around rampant right now so satan kind of actually is a little bit contained so that would make sense, right? They would, that's how they would get there. So they would say that there's not going to be a period of tribulation, that that's not going to happen because all of that is metaphorical, right? So now, believe it or not, this is actually the second most popular view amongst theologians, right? I, it, it might even be tied for first. So they would say there is no rapture, right? There is no tribulation. What they would say is that we are in this age now and literally, you will hear one day the trumpets opened up, and instead of us being zapped up into heaven, you will see Christ coming down to earth to uh, resurrect believers who are dead, to um, resurrect unbelievers, to give final judgment, and to set up the new heaven and the new earth. That's probably the cleanest and the simplest view of the eschaton, is this idea, look, Tribulation, figurative. Rapture, figurative, right? When all this stuff is talking about, literally, we're not trying to do all this stuff. What we're saying is, is Christ descended 
uh, or he's going to descend, he is going to return. Remember I said there is no disagreement about the return of Christ. There is no disagreement about the resurrection of the dead. This falls within that. You would just say there's no tribulation. That's figurative. There's no rapture. That's figurative, right? Um, so according to the passage of Revelation 20, 1 through 10, this describes the present church age. This is an age in which Satan's influence over the nations has been greatly reduced so that the gospel can be preached to the whole world. That's why they believe it's the church age, is that we have the ability to spread the gospel. Satan's not running around with fireballs destroying us, okay? And it's only because Satan has been restrained that we have anything at all. That is millennialism. So if you're an millennialist, you're not looking to the sky to one day have your clothes left behind on an airplane because you've gotten raptured, right? You're, you're not that. You're just saying, I'm waiting for Jesus to return to make the wrong things right. All right. Does anybody have any question about millennialism? I kind of wonder after you shared all that, do you know, after Jesus resurrected and the graves opened up, would they have considered that being the rapture moment for the, you know? Well, they wouldn't say probably even the word rapture because that doesn't appear in the Bible. It does talk about believers being taken up into heaven. Um, I would think they would see that as just a way of, of showing the authority of Christ and his death. Um, they just wouldn't say that any of this was meant to be taken literally, you know, the, the rest of Revelation, a lot of it is figurative. And so they would see this as just one and the same. Yeah. So really, Teresa, what they would get at is when Satan, when, when Jesus died for our sins, Satan was constrained as well. Yeah. Yeah. And any other questions about amillennialism? Okay. Um, you'll see there uh, that at the end of the present era, right, Christ will return and defeat Satan, thus ushering in the last judgment. So it's very clean, very simple. Okay, uh, next one, post-millennialism, all right? So this is not amillennialism, this is post-millennialism. I'm going to be honest with you guys, I don't know that I actually know somebody who is a post-millennialist. This is the least common view, and you'll see why here in a second. The post-millennialist post believes um, that um, they believe that the position is, is that Christ's return will occur after the millennium. So they believe that um, instead of Jesus coming before the millennium, that Jesus comes after it. So they believe in a, in a real literal 1,000 years, and they believe that that 1,000 years would be a reign of good where the gospel will go forth, uh, where it will uh, proliferate, uh, the progress of the gospel and the growth of the church will increase so that a larger and larger proportion of the world's population will be Christians. So this is a very optimistic view of the end times. Um, there will be significant Christian influences on society, that society will be will more and more function according to God's standards, and gradually this millennial age of peace and righteousness will occur on earth. So they believe we're in the church age, and instead of Jesus either rapturing or coming just directly to judgment, they believe that there's going to be a millennium before Christ gets here where things are going to be really, really good. 
Um, so the book that I'm kind of read from, which is uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, it says this, the primary characteristic of post-millennialism is that it is very optimistic about the power of the gospel to change lives and bring about very much good in the world. Now, it's interesting that beliefs in post-millennialism tends to increase when the church is experiencing great revival or when there's an absence of war or when there's an absence of international strife. The church would say, wow, look at what God is doing. Maybe we are being ushered into this long season of peace where some people would say this must be the millennium, that there's going to be a thousand years of peace on earth. Um, after that 1,000 years is done, then Christ will return, vanquish Satan, raise the believers and the unbelievers from the dead to life, where they will be eternally judged and Christ or and Satan will be eternally destroyed. That is post-millennialism. So if we were keeping a timeline, church age, post-millennialism believes that the millennium is here. Amillennialism believes church age the return of Christ, and then the millennium gets set up. Do you see, do you see the difference here? The millennium is the good stuff. Amillennialism says that it comes, uh, excuse me, amillennialism said there is no millennium. We're going to get to what I was just talking about in a second. Uh, that's historic premillennialism. But um, amillennialism believes there is no millennium. Postmillennialism says the millennium occurs before Jesus comes. Does anybody have any questions on that? All right. What do you, why, after hearing it, why do you think that most people don't believe in postmillennialism? The Bible says that at the end times, things are going to get worse, not better. So we have examples of Second Timothy chapter three. We got examples of uh, Revelation. We have the example of uh, Paul and Thessalonians. So um, things, and also we have all the examples in the Old Testament, like Zechariah. You know, if we look at Zechariah chapter fourteen, in you know, the coming of Christ, uh, it's pretty bad. That's Armageddon, right? So uh, every, everybody will be against Israel. So uh, that's why it does not make sense. But the verse that they uh, base post-millennialism is based off uh, Matthew 28, verses 18, which says, all authority has been, has been given to me on heaven and on earth, right? So what they said, okay, look, Christ is reigning already. Therefore, we must be in the millennium. Um, and things will get progressively better until the entire population, entire the church will take over the, the world and he'll come. Yeah. And the gospel needs to be preached on all four corners, um, which yeah. is the difference with the amillennial, which the amillennial will be mainly if you're a preterist, meaning if everything, all prophecy has been fulfilled except the second coming, then you have to be an amillennial. And you have to fit Revelation uh, written before the 70 AD destruction of the temple to make it fit, right? Uh, which it doesn't really fit. Most scholars says it's going to be written somewhere in the 95 Revelation, right? So that, those are the problems that we have. But they're based, based on Matthew 24, 36, which when Jesus is 
speaking to his disciples is to this generation, all of these signs will be, uh, will happen, but it's just the word generation has a double meaning, but you can interpret it, meaning was to those people that he was speaking to his disciples or was talking to a sort of people, right? So that's the breakup between millennial and then we have the post-millennial and pre-millennials, anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, it all depends on your interpretation, right, of Revelation, and um, and so that's all that's important. And um, and so yeah. All right. So we'll keep going on. All right. So uh, the final two. Uh, one is called historic premillennialism or classic premillennialism. This is uh, the view that um, the Christ will re return will occur before the millennium. So remember. Our post-millennialist brothers and sisters says that Jesus's return will come uh, after a period of peace. Um, a historic premillennialist would say that Jesus's return will initiate that time of peace, that 1,000 years. So um, Christ will return, though, in the historic premillennialist standpoint, will be after the tribulation and before the millennium. So. These are our, our, our parts of it. We have our current time where we're living in the church age. Then there comes this season of tribulation where the church still remains. So me, you, all of us together still remain and we endure during the, during the tribulation. And it is only after a time of great tribulation that Christ uh, descends and uh, that he comes to catch the believers up right after this time of uh, of tribulation right that the believers will then be caught up with christ and then christ will come down to uh establish the millennium and then after a thousand or should be after that a thousand years he would do the he would uh initiate judgment on the living and the dead after he raises them so let's let's do let's break down the time frame okay you can do this linearly we are currently in the church age, according to a historic premillennialist. This is where we are right here. After this comes tribulation, where me and you and all of our brothers and sisters in Christ endure in tribulation. At that point, Christ will come down to catch all of us and rapture us up. And then after a time, he descends with believers to establish the millennium, that 1,000 years. And it's after the 1,000 years that Christ actually brings on judgment, and the final battle of Armageddon is determined, and Christ vanquishes Satan and judges the living, and not the dead anymore because they're raised from the dead, uh, and he will say no longer just a personal judgment, but publicly, your name is written in the book of life, or your name is written not in the book of life, in the book of death, right? And he would vanquish the non-believers to uh, eternal damnation. So church age, tribulation, then you have kind of a rapture or ascending, and then Christ descends to set up the millennium, and then he judges the living and the dead because everybody's raised from the dead, and then we're in our eternal state, either in new Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth, or an eternal punishment, eternal damnation. Um, so that there's a lot more steps involved with that. 
I'll say this, that's what the church has believed for a long time. Uh, that's been a popular belief for a long time. Uh, it's historic premillennialism. Does anybody have any questions when it comes to that? Could you just bullet point, repeat the order again? It's yep. becomes um, after tribulation, but before the thousand years and then? So caught up, right? Or rapture is maybe a way to think of it comes after tribulation. We get raptured with Christ. We descend with Christ after we're caught up with him to be a part of the establishment of the millennium. It's after a thousand years of Jesus reigning on this old earth, right? This current earth, the thousand years of Jesus's reign that at that point he would, uh, after the thousand years is that he has the resurrection then of the unbelievers and then there's judgment. Because remember, where are the believers? They're with him already, right? All the believers are alive. According to this, there will be a time where he will raise the unbelievers from the dead. And then he would, he would judge both the believers and the unbelievers to their final eternal state. So church age, tribulation, rapture, descent, millennium, judgment, eternal state. That, my friends, uh, yes. I, I think, I don't know if everybody knows the difference between the millennial and the eternal state, but maybe that would be a good way, a good thing to clarify the differences between, because maybe, yeah. if, you know, if you're an unmillennial, you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. No, if you're not an unmillennial, then there's going to be a problem if you don't know what the difference is between yeah. the millennial and the yeah. eternal state. Yeah, so the, so the millennium is this time, right? If you'll go back to Revelation 20, uh, here's Revelation 20, and this describes a little bit of the millennium in Revelation 20, where it says um, uh, in verse four, then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the author, the authority to judge was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the world of God, word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and not received its mark. So there's people reigning with Christ. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So we're not told a lot about the millennium, but we know that it's Jesus before he establishes the new heaven and the new earth, before the old earth has passed away, Christ is coming to set up his reign here on this current earth. And there are apparently martyrs and there are people, though, those who had not sold their souls out to the Antichrist who are reigning with them. Um, and so we're not told, again, what life will look like. When I taught this the last time, people were like, what will you do during the thousand years? Are you kind of going to just go into work, wait, you know, and Jesus is in Jerusalem? We just don't know. The Bible's not very clear about it. But that's not the final glorified state. Sin will still be here. Death will still be here, uh, the, but Christ will be reigning. It's not until the, the final judgment that we enter our glorified state where there is no sin, there is no destruction, there's only us in Christ for eternity. So that thousand years is kind of a, a pre-context pre to that, if that makes sense. Could, could I add something to that? Would that be okay? Go ahead, brother. Isaiah 65, 20, 
and on it tells us a little bit more about the millennial right so the millennial is a recreated earth right but it's not the new heavens and new earth so if you are a premillennial when when christ is coming back with the church right what we what hunters plan as a descent um, that's coming at the battle of Armageddon, uh, Revelation 19, uh, verse, uh, verse 19, verses 6 through 12. Uh, that's what happens. That's, that's right on the battle. So then right there, there's a division of what happens, right, between those who believe and don't believe. But there will be people coming out of the Great Tribulation, walking right into the millennial that believe, but they will be with their physical bodies right the natural bodies but those who die in christ and and those uh who were caught up and then come back that's we will be given a new body right and that will be a resurrected body and that will be the glorified body yeah so in during that 1000 years there will be a mix of people with glorified bodies but then also those who walking out of the great tribulation and then we'll look at what I said, 65, 20 says, no longer will be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live his, out, his, his days out. For the youth will die at the age of 100 and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought to be accursed. They will build houses and inhabit them. They will also plant vineyards and they eat their fruit. There will not be longer any in, inhabit, but they will not plant one another to eat. For, for as the lifetime of the trees, so will be the days of my people. And then we know it says, uh, verse 23, there will be no more labor in vain or, or bear children for calamity, for there are offsprings of the Lord blessed. And, you know, and then we look, it says, and the lamb will lie, will lie with, the, with the lion. You know, you got all that stuff. There will be no more eating each other. So it's a recreated heavens and earth. But those who walked into the millennial, will have kids because they enter with natural bodies and they will, st they will still propagate, you know, multiply. And they're going to have to teach also the faith to them for that 1,000 year time. For us, that's why it says on the, on the on, on Revelation 20, it says, blessed are those who are partakers of the first resurrection because death has no claim on us anymore because we have the glorified bodies. Except right. those ones that walked in that will have kids and they will, that's why at the end, Revelation 20, verse six, it says at the end, Satan will be released again for a little while to deceive the nations, meaning to deceive those who walked in with their natural bodies and their kids and they will be separated one more time. And then this, this earth and this heaven is destroyed and then we get the new heavens and the new earth in which we'll be with God in our glorified bodies. And those who come out of the millennial with God, with the glorified bodies forever and ever. So in, so that's, in your those are the opinion, the millennial and the... so in your opinion, all Christians will reign during those thousand years. It's not there's some who reign and others who are still depending on your view either asleep or in heaven waiting for the new heaven and the new earth because the in revelations 20 it sounds like 
only those who were beheaded. So like a, a section of martyrs will reign for that thousand years. So you're saying in your view, all Christians reign for that thousand years with Christ. Well, it's, it's not my view, but you know, if you look at First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, it does say that when Jesus comes back, uh, if you look at verses thirteen through seventeen, it starts. He's uh, Paul starts saying, and I will tell you, uh, and, and brother, I don't want you to be in a word. I will tell you mystery. Those who who died in Christ and will be risen first, and then those who we are alive will be caught up to him in the emitter uh, and, and unite, be united with him. Now, if you want to know a little, want to know a little more what happens on the second coming, then we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to the end, I think it's 58. And that, that, that tells you that it says, in the twinkle of an eye, uh, we'll be transformed, right? So we'll be given our resurrected body. If you are alive, as you're being raptured out, then your body changes to the, to the resurrected body. So you will get those, and it all, all happens simultaneously. You get those who are risen from the dead and, and, and on the second coming, and they get the glorified body, the resurrected body. Those who we are alive and we meet with Christ up in the earth, that we will get the resurrected body, and then we come right back down with him and, the, and, and, and all the saints, right? And, and then we walk into the millennium. But also, are those who came out of the great tribulation that so, were converted because of that? So all Christians will reign in the thousand years. Yeah, that's what it says. Well, Does that mean we yeah. get to participate in the fight at the end? Because no, I don't know if it's very biblical, but I've said to God, I really would like to fight in that fight. Can I have like a sword? And can you just like endow me with like? All the weapons no and just like, gosh, destroys the demons. No it's just, it's just word says, you're done. If you look at it, yeah, because if you look at it, it's kind of an anticlimactic <laughs> battle, right? Like, it's kind of like Satan brings all of his army, and then Jesus literally, like, slays them all. And it's like, there wasn't like, really Jesus, much. It wouldn't like, make a good action. Yeah, it wouldn't make a good action. He gives us just five minutes. He's just like, he, guys, I'm going to wait five minutes. Have at it. Get your rage out on these demons that have ruined your life, and then I'll write down my fire. <laughs> That's right. I think we do get to ride on an awesome horse, though. <laughs> yeah, we get to come in with that, right? So, okay, let's go over the final one, and then and then we'll 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 move forward. Um, okay, so the final one is the one that's been made popular, kind of back in the early 1900s, 20th century, is the uh, pre-tribulational, pre-millennialism. So that's the one that probably most people would say. If they don't have uh, one, they would say, I, I'll pick this one because it gets me out of the, the hard stuff. And they would say that this position is that Christ's return will occur before the millennialism, before, excuse me, before the millennium, uh, millennium, which is the literal thousand years, but the church will not experience the seven year uh, or the, the undetermined, they, most people think it's seven years of persecution. So you have the church age, then you have the rapture. Remember, we go up with Jesus in the historic premillennialism. We're raptured and we come back down immediately in our glorified state. We would say, church. so if someone was a pre-tribulational premillennial, the church age, Jesus comes down to take all of us up. 
and then we stay up until after the tribulation and then we descend with Christ so he can set up the millennial the millennium right we avoid the tribulation people really like that one because it gets us out of the really seven years of intense suffering right uh the rapture is before the tribulation and then Christ's return will recur, will occur before the millennium before the millennium um now that again that right there is probably one that a lot of people um, kind of pop culture, if, you, if there's pop culture with eschatology, that's the one they would believe in because the Left Behind books pushed that, right? If you remember in those books, there was a, the main character was not a Christian and the, all the Christians were taken up and he was left to kind of fend for himself. He became a Christian, therefore he was a part of reigning during the millennium, right towards the end there. So that's pre-tribulational, pre-millennialism. I personally don't buy into that. I think you see over and over again that the church always goes through persecution and suffering, um, that we never have gotten out of that. Um, I also think you just see that it's uh, that Jesus is talking to his followers when he's talking about uh, the, the and describing the tribulation and things like that. I think we were, are intended to suffer along uh, in the tribulation as kind of a, almost a final uh, purge or even a final actually evangelism. To the world um, because the church actually grows during tribulation. Um, okay, we're going to move forward. Um, two major errors here that I would say moving forward, okay, is one, uh, the you cannot pretend to know too much about the nature of the millennium, right? We talked a little bit about it from the Bible, but there has been a lot of speculation about what the millennium of Christ's rule and reign will look like. We aren't actually told a ton about it right we just don't know the nature of everything we just know that it's there and we should know that period but we should also not have an exaggerated confidence um in the uh gospel to penetrate the world so as to christianize it right so what i'm getting at there is that um uh there will be people at the end who are going to go to eternal damnation. Now, when I talk about an exaggerated confidence in the gospel to penetrate the world, the gospel is powerful and effective. I think what, he's, what we're mainly getting at here is to know, friends, uh, there's just going to be people at the, end of the, at the end of the age who are not going to accept Christ. That should give you confidence practically in saying that um, you are not the one who saves. So when you share the gospel, right, the gospel is powerful and effective, but there will be people at the end. We clearly know that the world is not going to end before the final judgment with everybody being saved. And Jesus comes down. He's like, who's here to judge? Okay, you're all saved. Cool, cool, cool. All right, great. Right? Like, we don't need to do that. So what I'm, maybe a more helpful way to say it is this don't be shaken that the world is not all Christian, right? Don't be shaken uh, that not, every, not everybody believes the way that you do. Should we strive towards that? Yes, because that's the only way that we're going to have the effectiveness necessary to share the gospel and see, if, and see our uh, friends and family hopefully come to know the Lord. But don't be shaken when the world does not love your Savior uh, have confidence and at the end of the day in Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, the final judgment, 
Let's read Revelation 20, 11 through 15. We've been talking a lot about that. Um, Can I'll I read ask that. a question quick? Please. Um, the amillennialists and the postmillennialists, when do they think the tribulation falls or do they not believe in it? Amillennialists would not believe in tribulation. They would think that that is, um, they would think that that's figurative along with that. And then you ask the, which one, Post. which the other Post yeah, the postmillennialist um, would not believe in a tribulation. Remember, they believe that there is uh, the church age, and then there is no tribulation. It goes right into the millennium. Remember, we talked about it being a very optimistic view of the world, that without tribulation and without the descent of Christ, that it just magic, the gospel kind of grows magically, right? Not magically, but the gospel just kind of goes and goes and goes and goes kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. Again, uh, what I said earlier about don't don't have an exaggerated confidence the gospel would penetrate the world so as to Christianize it. It's really talking to our post-millennialist brothers and sisters, I think. But um, OK, so Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who is seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged. So they sprang from hell back to earth for one final time, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they'd done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the fire, the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into a lake of fire. So um, what does this mean? Our final resting place is not heaven. Our final resting place where we were meant to dwell with the Lord is the new heaven and the new earth, right? Verse 20, we'll, we'll just look right at the very beginning of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adored for her husband. Friends, that's where we are longing to be for eternity. Right? Um, when you die, when I die, we are judged temporarily. Right? Meaning that heaven and hell are temporary judgment places for us, right? Um, now, they're very real. They're very, uh, you, do, you don't want to go to hell. You do want to go to heaven. And that's glorious, right? Like, you know, the sea of crystal, the golden streets, all those things, right, are heaven. Not the best parts of heaven, but they're heaven. But they're temporary. Because where will you be when the judgment happens? Here on earth right, where Christ initiates a new heaven and a new earth, right, so the final judgment, so we're temporarily judged at our death, but that judgment is personal, and it's not public, if you notice in Revelation 20, 11 through 15, there's a public nature where John is seeing people being sentenced, right, the final judgment, by contrast, is a public display in which Christ will evaluate all human beings, and even angelic beings, for their final and eternal destiny, so at the final judgment, Christ himself will be the judge. The righteous will experience eternal life. Um, the unrighteous will experience 
a divine punishment and Christ will be the judge. He will be impartial and he will be fair. And uh, you know this, but the standard by which Christ will judge will be our belief in him, our submission to him as our substitute and savior. And his judgments will be final, eternal. Uh, it will stand forever and will ultimately be manifested right in the final state. So all of this right here, this final judgment, what it's meant to connote is that this is the end of the story. This is the way uh, that we were meant to be. In a very real sense, we think of Adam and Eve being perfect. They weren't in the biblical sense. They weren't whole, right? They weren't glorified. But you get to the, this point where Christ judges you as living, as righteous, and that is how you become whole and perfect in your glorified state with him forever, right? Uh, a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and, and I love in verse three of Revelation 21, it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the formal, former things have passed away. Um, this is the final state. This is what it means to be perfect. This is what it means to be glorified is our dwelling place is with God and God's dwelling place is with us. How it always should be. This is the end of the story. Um, and this is what should give us confidence, right? Is that all of us is lurching towards, not the crystal sea and the streets of gold and the, you know, whatever we think, pop culture, I use that term a lot tonight, but whatever we think of when we think of heaven, that's actually not what we're ultimately destined for. We're destined for a new earth where we walk with God in the garden in the cool of day like Adam and Eve did forever. Um, which is pretty cool, right? But that's what we're aiming towards. So um, I'll throw out some scriptures real quick uh, that kind of support some of this. Um, Acts 10, 42 uh, tells us that Christ is to judge the living and the dead. God has given um, God has given His Son the power to judge. Right? He's given all that over to Jesus. Um, John five twenty four says that those who won't believe or those who believe won't come into divine punishment. Uh, it says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word." and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life, right? Um, John three sixteen, right? Uh, for all those who believe in me, or for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, who would ever believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. That's what he's talking about, is the eternal state. Um, it's interesting, if you look at Luke 20, uh, verse 47, or Matthew 11, 22 and 24, that there does seem to be some degree of differing condemnation 
for unbelievers based on works done. Now that's kind of like a trippy thing right there, right? We're used to kind of saying there's one way kind of deal, but let's turn there. Let, let's look at that. So let's go to Matthew 11, uh, 22. Um, Matthew 11, 22, and we'll also read 24. Um, Teresa, would you read Matthew 11, 22? Um, okay. 11. Okay, but I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Yeah, okay. All right. Got that. Will you also read, Teresa, just since you're there, uh, verse 24 as well? Yes. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Yeah. Okay. So what you have here is the ultimate judge, Jesus, in his incarnated state, talking to unrepentant cities, saying, hey, it's going to be bear more bearable for uh, Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for you. So there does seem to be some degree of um, severity when it comes to condemnation uh, based on your life here on earth, which is kind of an interesting concept. Anybody can push back against that. Um, that's just what I'm kind of seeing in the scriptures, and that's kind of where the people who I read, that's what they, what they kind of say there. Um, Jude 6, if we want to turn uh, to Jude 6, Jude, it's not the whole chapter, it's literally before one we, verse. Before we go, you know, when I think of Sodom, uh -huh. and I guess because I just like, we've lot, you know, whenever, but then again, I guess the more I think about it, it was before the destruction, because uh -huh. I thought how he made sure to get Lot out of there, which kind of made me think about um, believers being raptured before tribulation. Yeah. Yeah, some kind of symbolism kind of there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what you see there is the Lord, uh, the Lord is infinitely concerned about those who are righteous, right? You remember, um, you remember uh, Abraham prayed, and he said, if there is just one, or if you mean, he started off with saying, what, a hundred righteous people would you spare right. you know 50 25 and he said if there's just you know if there's just five righteous people there 10 righteous people there would you save it and god was infinitely concerned about the righteous coming into a right relationship with him so yeah I, absolutely i think that's what you see the theme all throughout the bible is that the lord has never um thrown out the righteous with the wicked he's always sustained the righteous through trial and tribulation yeah. You're thinking, or you're saying, um, with the tribulation and the Antichrist, that you don't, you believe, or believers will be here. I mean, I know, because see, I guess I've always thought about that believers would be raptured prior to tribulation, but then, right. of course, there will be people that were there who did not believe who will become believers. Right. Yep. So I believe that we will be, I believe that we will be there. Uh, on here on earth during the time of tribulation right depending on um, when we live and when we die <laughs> well sure sure yeah if i die tomorrow and jesus hasn't come back then obviously i'm not going to be here for it but if the tribulation starts tomorrow i'm not getting raptured tonight 
I believe that's, that's my personal belief. Uh, and that, and there are brothers and sisters in Christ who believe differently than that, who believe we will be raptured. Yeah. And I'm totally fine with that. As long as you're making Jesus famous here on earth, I don't care what you, what you believe about the end times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what, that's what my belief is. Yeah. So, and I can yeah. see that too. I mean, I see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Uh, let's keep moving. Um, all right. So we have that. Uh, Jude 6. Um, it's interesting here. Christ will judge angelic beings. It says in Jude 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And there's verse seven, Teresa, uh, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire, right? Uh, those unrepentant cities that Jesus came and preached to, apparently they're going to suffer a worse fate than Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's interesting, we don't normally think of Jesus judging angels. That's what Jude 6 tells us. Um, and then finally, this is good news for us. Cassandra, you sound like maybe uh, what you were saying earlier about just give me five minutes with, with the unbelievers, right? Maybe this will be a part of, uh, this will make you happy. If you no, want to not the unbelievers, the, the demons. I don't want to hurt the people, just the demons. <laughs> You're not that heartless. Okay, I got it. All right, so uh, we'll turn to 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, two through three. Uh, if you guys would do that for me, First Corinthians six, two through three. And it says, um, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you an incompetent to, tri to try trivial cases? Uh, do, you, do you not know that we are to judge angels? how much more than matters pertaining to this life. So he's saying in that, in the context of that passage is, hey, don't bring a lawsuit against each other because don't you know there's going to be a final judgment where we are going to be a part of it. Like you should be able to handle this now here on earth, right? Of some matters of not tribulation. So we will be there to judge uh, those who um, are not in final, uh, in final righteous with, righteousness with Christ. Um, so I would say this, what is the application of the final judgment? What's the application of, the, of eschatology? Um, we touched on it earlier, but the doctrine of final judgment does satisfy our inward need of, or our inward sense of a need for justice in this world. So you know how like we look around and there's like all kinds of bad things. Like Christ is not an incompetent judge letting bad things get away unnoticed. There will be a time where everybody will answer for the bad things they've done. And so if you look around and you see people who are uh, in egregious sin and they seem to, the sun shines on them and the rain falls on their farm and their vegetables grow, right? Metaphorically, know that there is a time where Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. Uh, the fact that there will be a final judgment assures us that ultimately God's universe, friends, is fair. Right now, it's fair according to his rules, not according to ours. But God's final, but God's universe is fair. Oops, sorry, my mom's FaceTiming me, she wants to see my son. Uh, when the picture of final judgment mentions the fact that books were opened, 
It reminds us that a permanent and accurate record of all of our deeds has been kept by God. Right? Now, that's scary. But if your name is written in the book of life, Jesus and his blood overrides that. And you are righteous. Right? But no one gets out on their own deeds. No one escapes the book of condemnation on their own deeds. I wouldn't trust my best 15 seconds to get me into heaven. Right? Um, because even there, even there, there's things that would be written in the book of condemnation. Um, and then finally, the doctrine of final judgment enables us to ultimately forgive others freely, right? It's not up to me and it's not up to you to take revenge on others who have wronged us or even to want to do so because God has reserved that right for himself. There will be a time when all that is said and done, right? Um, so, so yeah, uh, that, that, those are the kind of two my points of moral application that I would have for us. Um, I, I want to pop over to, if you have your Bible still open, I want to pop over to Matthew 25, uh, 31, and we'll start 31 and we'll go kind of through uh, for a little bit. Um, so Matthew 25, 31 is where we'll start. Uh, this might give you a little bit more of a, a mental or like a mental image of it. Uh, Matthew 25, 31 says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him to inaugurate his throne, right? When it, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you uh, came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, he obviously, you know, this passage, he goes on to say the opposite of those who did not clothe, did not give food, did not come and visit. And he says at the end, uh, verse 45, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Um, all I can say about, oh, you there? Can you hear me? Sorry, my video, as I need to restart that. Yeah, um, all I can, there we go. All I can say about this is that eternal punishment and eternal life are real, but they actually have effects on us and what we do now. Um, so anyway, that's, that's kind of where I am friends is have certainty, have trust. The end times is real, but if you are in Christ, it should bring about confidence in you. Uh, no matter when it comes, no matter when it will be, um, we should act like it's coming tomorrow. Um, one of my favorite theologians, Jonathan Edwards says this, uh, he made a bunch of resolutions and he says that he's resolved that he should never do anything that he would be afraid to do 
if it were the last hour of his life. Um, maybe we should adopt that for the end times, right? Maybe we should never do anything we would be afraid to do had, if we knew that Christ was coming tonight. Maybe that would give us better perspective on the way that we operate in this world now. So uh, that, that's, that's all I have for, for tonight. Um, do you guys have any other thoughts or any other questions? I have another question. And you can answer, or Eloy can answer. Because um, I, I just always thought there was a separation between the martyrs and the Christians who were alive and the thousand year reign and then the rest of us who were long dead. Um, so in Revelation 20 verse 5 where it says, but the rest of the dead lived not again till the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Who does that mean? So, so, so I will differ from Eloy in this and that I do believe that the martyrs, if you look at the book of Revelation all throughout it, there is the, there's a separate time for the martyrs. Let's, let's look back at that. There's a separate reigning that the martyrs have. So I'll differ from Eloy there. But that doesn't mean that Eloy is wrong at all. Uh, it could just mean that I have a different understanding of, of that context. Well, well, I am. Hey, y'all. This, hey, this, hey, this hey, myself. I'm a, uh, a dispensational hey millennial. So, hey, hey, hold uh, on one second. I'll be right back. Keep talking. So, so that, 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 might, that affects my scatology and what I say. So I do believe in the rapture, and I and I believe the rapture will be pre-trip. So, and I and I have probably six or seven verses I can give you about the pre-trip rapture. You know, I can give you Revelation three ten. I can give you First Thessalonians one ten. First uh, Thessalonians five ten. Uh, you got Matthew twenty four, Matthew twenty five. I mean, I can go on, but um, but that's why I it affects what I say because I'm a I'm a dispensational premillennial. And I'm a, so I'm a my 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 views Yeah and I'm a covenantal pre pre-tribulation pre uh, not pre excuse me, covenantal historical premillennialist. So that would be right. where I would fall. Yeah. yeah. So that that affects that affects the the so uh, it all affects is the timing of, of things happening, right? When are things gonna happen? So He's got a different view, and he can tell you that. And I can tell you my view, and I tell you when things are going to happen according to the view I study. And now it's not perfect because none of them are perfect. I can find flaws with his, and he can find flaws with mine. I can find flaws on, on millennials, but none of them are perfect. None of them are. Right. Which but is why we, we have right away. Which is why we don't remember one of the flaws that we said. Don't put too much confidence in one view. Don't put too much confidence in what the end times will actually look like. Because honestly, friends, we're just taking our best. There are men and women who love Jesus and study this for their lives and still aren't completely sure. But it's good. It's good to have like a, an informed viewpoint. That's why we study these things. But we just don't need to have an over-exaggerated confidence in our view. I would say, uh, Cassandra, um, as I'm looking at this, right, I'm uh, looking at... Um, Back in earlier in Revelation, um, gosh, where is it? Revelation, um, I wanted to take us to Revelation 5, but that's where the elders are. There is, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll find it, 
uh, for you, but martyrs and uh, the martyrs of the early church are given this really high standpoint, right, where they are given access to Christ. I would say Revelation 20 says that, right, um, that there's a part of um, Christ's reign that involves martyrs only, that involves them and having this kind of standpoint where nobody else gets. But that's, anyway, I would need to look into that. In order and do to you are you talking about Revelation 16? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Still martyrs? Yeah. Do you yeah, think someone... that that's martyrs only from the tribulation period because it speaks about the mark or is it those and all martyrs from all time? I think martyrs of all time, right? Who is, who've come back down, right? In a resurrected body. Um, that That's it right there. So the fifth seal, right? Who the, the um, I saw under the altar, the souls of those who've been slain for the word of God and for the witness they bore. They cried out with loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth. They were each given a white ro robe. Check this out. They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves have been. Martyred during the tribulation, martyrs all over the, uh, from before time, or excuse me, from the beginning from Stephen all the way up until however long the church age stands. Those would be dwelling with Christ. Those would be reigning with Christ with their white robes, reigning with him in the millennium. They were told to rest, soul sleep. Yes. I just said that sleep, to right? annoy Eloy. <laughs> <laughs> and like okay. i think soul sleep fits in more with your view eloy because you're like okay some of them had a glorified body and then we we meet christ in the sky but if we're like already in heaven what was happening here before we came here and then back down here if we were asleep and then we rise get the bodies in rain i think my view fits more with your view you need to consider soul sleep <laughs> I can tell this class has been fun with uh, with <laughs> Eli, uh, at the uh, rock and roll with some stuff. So, okay. Any other any other questions? I think it's interesting that a lot of people don't bring it up, and I know why they don't bring it up. But maybe I, I shouldn't bring it up then. <laughs> Anyways, in the same way that there's degrees of punishment that we have read. There are degrees of recompense. Yes. And so there's a compensation and a call or what you also call a commendation, judgment, delivers. So um, not, and I think that's not brought up because the motivation behind can be wrong when we do a good deed. And that's the thing that we have to keep in mind. Why do we do what we do? And what's the motivation behind? Is it to glorify myself or God, right? But there will be, you know, if we look at 2 Corinthians 5, 10, um, 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through uh, 15, we can look at those verses and see the commendation judgment. Yeah, you get you you start talking about that, and I agree with you, uh, Eli, that there will be certain degrees of glorification, um, you, you start to get people feeling real weird about things, right? You know, who might not have been as, that's why people don't bring it up is because that starts to honestly sound like Mormonism, you know, <laughs> like that starts to sound a little bit, a little bit Mormonism, you know, 
Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, you're exactly right. The Bible does seem to talk about the idea that there are people who um, will receive a greater reward um, because of their uh, faithfulness here on earth. And there is, it does seem to, to indicate that there are those who will get into heaven and their robes will almost smell like ash because uh, they were that close to hell, right? Um, but um, my, my, one of my favorite pastors of all time uh, is a guy named Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon says, yeah, he is, I, if I ever do a, doc, a doctoral work, I'm going to do it on Charles Spurgeon. Um, he says that sometimes faith is just clinging to Jesus like a mollusk clings to a rock. And the mollusk has no idea what geologically it's holding on to. It just knows it's sturdy and it's safe there. And sometimes we have faith in Jesus because we are in love with him. And sometimes we have faith in Jesus because we can trust him. And there's just all times of different faith. And I would say this, man, there are people that the, the, the martyr, not the martyr, excuse me, the, the prisoner hanging on the cross who embraced Christ, he's in heaven. Um, because remember, Jesus's parable about the workers who were hired late in the day, and they were paid the same amount as those who were hired at the beginning of the day, right? We all get into heaven if you put your faith in Christ. But it is interesting that the Bible says that there's different degrees of, of punishment and reward for those based on our life here on earth. That's not talked about a lot because that sounds real. You can get real works-based real quick, right? But that does seem to be there. So, all right. Anybody else? If not, I will let you all get the get to the rest of your uh, Wednesday night. I think I might use your um, analogy of the the robe smelling like ash instead of mine because it eliminates me having to say backside because I always <laughs> say um, I don't want to get to heaven and the door closes on my backside. Okay. <laughs> just in. <laughs> just in, man. You're <laughs> yeah, got in. My robe smells a little ashy, right? You know, it's so. All right, y'all. Well, listen, um, do something with this. This is not just a good theology hits your head, uh, which is where we are now. It moves to your heart. It goes out to your hands so that you can transform your habitat, right? Head, heart, hands, habitat. This is only so good. It's only good news if we actually do something with it. So uh, make much of Jesus, knowing that you have confidence that uh, the wrong things of this world will be made right one day. Uh, and until then, we can say, uh, God is who he says he is. He'll do what he says he will do. Therefore, we can leave ourselves in the hands of our maker and savior who made us all. All right. Good night, everyone.